Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic, which has been raging ever since. I wanted to start a podcast, but initially thought, well, I'm not an astrophysicist, I'm not a fighter pilot, and I've never even seen a UFO. I'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery. But that's when a light bulb went off. There are so many other people just like me who are fascinated with this stuff. So why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective? All the BS stripped away, as a few people have said. And let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this. Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free, but supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better. Higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise. And I really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on Patreon or not. So now with all of that said, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name is Frank and let's get cracking. So a bit of a different one today. This is going to be part of a new little mini series that I'm going to be doing called uh, Voices of the Community. So the idea of this is not everybody who's got something interesting to say about UFOs and, and the topic of UFOs is necessarily a sort of UFO celebrity or, you know, somebody who's a high profile individual like myself. You know, I, I class myself as kind of an ordinary person and, um, you know, I've just got a fascination with this topic. And I thought it'd be very interesting to actually try and get some similar people to myself I guess similar kind of background people who are just fascinated with UFOs and are actively a part of the UFO community especially on Twitter um, and get them on the show and you know have some discussions with some of the people who get in touch with me because since starting the podcast I've had a lot of people contact me by DMs on Twitter and emails and things like that and we have ongoing conversations and it's really interesting some of the things that come out so I thought why not actually bring that onto the podcast and have these discussions for the listeners to actually be able to uh, to take in as well so with that said let's get cracking with it so it is my pleasure to welcome to the show david smethurst how are you doing dave hi frank i'm doing well mate how about you i'm not so bad so i know you as a, a regular contributor to ufo twitter and uh, essentially an ordinary <laughs> guy like myself, really, who's been fascinated by the UFO topic. And I thought maybe if you don't mind, you could just give a little bit of background on yourself and what got you interested in the UFO topic. Yeah, sure, Frank. Yeah, I mean, I've been listening, I've been into it, God, since about the late 80s, really. That dates me a little bit. I read Timothy Goods Above Top Secret, and there was so much detail in that. I thought there must be something to this topic. Uh, and so I've sort of followed it ever since on and off, like we do. We work and you follow it. And uh, like a lot of people, I also got into the ancient civilization side of thing with Graham Hancock. And I always think there's a bit of a tie in there, which we'll maybe talk about later. But like a lot of people, I just got uh, 
when it all kicked off in 2016, effectively, I got right back into it. And the last two or three years, I've been on UFO Twitter following things, talking to a few people, talking to a couple of articles they're doing. And I sort of, I've been doing a lot of talking to Andy on that uh, UFO podcast recently, getting involved more, just getting a bit more involved, really. So I don't claim to know much more than the normal punter, really. But like anything, if you listen to it long enough, you do form your own views. And it's like listening to your show and all that. It's just been, it's been good, really, to hear more people coming through that weren't the old guard who were, it had to be a mega conspiracy or nothing, really. And I think we've sort of, there's a new sort of group of people coming through that are a bit more like the normal person in the street who's trying to sort of wade through it, but also is not afraid to speculate. So that's where I'm coming from anyway. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. And I think there's something I've talked about a lot on the podcast before is is like UFO Twitter and all of these new podcasts that have that have come along sort of relatively recently, really, over the last few years, haven't they? It's a great way of, yeah. of being able to actually have all of this like knowledge like fed into one place. You know, UFO Twitter, as soon as you find a few people who you can kind of, you know, you trust their viewpoint on something, they open up a lot of other things and it's just a great way of getting everybody together. And and like you say, I've I've found um especially since having the podcast and even going to things like the 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 minicon in, in Preston recently, the UFO uh, convention there. Um, it's really interesting actually to speak to, you know, just other people, similar position to myself who are really digging in. So obviously that was part of the reason for having you on here and, and having a chat. So we'd uh, been in contact here and there, as I just mentioned on Twitter, and we ended up having a bit of a, exchange uh, via email back and forth about various topics including the uh, the formation of TTSA and potential rival factions within the US government etc it has been a little while since we spoke about that but uh, do you have any sort of up-to-date thoughts on that well if you want Frank I'll just go through a bit of what we were talking about because people might find it interesting I've it was interesting the email you sent to me which I'll get to and I sort of changed my view on it but I'll just take you through what I've sort of gleaned listening to it all. And it might be quite interesting for people to see what they think. I mean, I basically think there's sort of, you can see this progression sort of as a sort of, it's in the nose, which are people who know the core stuff and sort of want to know who are people who are in the military but aren't quite in the core secrets, as it were. And I'm not using that phrase quite right. So I think you can sort of see the events from 2017 to now, it within that lens, I, it's a conflict between people trying to get the knowledge out, really. Uh, I don't think it's conspiratorial as I once did. It's almost as hard as extraterrestrial to get out of that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I don't think it's as uh, conspiratorial as I once did. But I'll just give you what my take was, and it was when I read Ross Coulthard. I thought, oh, well, what do I think about this? So I thought, really, since 1947, there's been a, high-level secret group maybe coordinating it some sort of way, handling the UFO issue, probably established through powers from Truman. I mean, I'm skipping through this because there's loads of documents and talk about this, and you can argue all of this, I suppose. And I think they were, uh, there was something like the Magic Group decided by Stanton Friedman. I don't know if it was quite that. I mean, some of those early documents look pretty good. Not so sure about the later ones. That one, Linda Morton Howell, was froze up. I think that's a bit dodgy. But anyway, let's just say there was, I think they were probably closely tied to the US Air Force, elements of the CIA, DOE, Department of Energy for anybody there, 
And I think they sort of control that. And then they maybe moved into the protection of the DOE after that. You know, uh, probably set up its own framework, observing, incident management, maybe strategic planning, and maybe looking at re-engineering. And who knows if they contacted anybody or not. We can't. I won't go that bad. Who knows about that? And I think they were probably running uh, special access programs from the DOE, maybe some from the Air Force, and maybe linked to private industry. And so you've got this small secretive group going. Everything's on a need-to-know basis. They sort of instructed other parts of the military what to do, flying below the radar. And, uh, but they're very powerful as well. So they're like the in-the-know thing, and I think they're the anti-disclosure group. That was as I perceived it anyway. And then the other faction was like the wanna knows. And in parallel, as you look through this topic since the forge, you can see a lot of other related activity, military scientists, politicians, and they're sort of not in this inner loop. And they're always they might know a bit, they might even have worked on some UFO stuff with the military, but they want to know what's going on. And so you can go from Donald Kehoe, moving through a few other people to the Avery with all those people in the nineties, these deep throats from intelligence and science talking to each other, to NIDS under Bigelow, trying to find the secrets out, through to RCEP and ATIP. And they were like the sort of one of those, uh, in my view. And they, they were, as I say, they, were, they weren't unconnected and maybe they knew quite a bit. Melinda Leslie contacted me and said, because uh, I was talking about this, and uh, they said they might want to know a bit more, might be a bit more accurate description rather than one of those, want to know a bit more. And so you had these two parallel tracks running on UFOs. Uh, some maybe knowing about magic, or if it existed, some didn't know. But uh, they, they were all—they're all basically—they uh, all wanted to get into what were the Indonos. Now you might have somebody like Eric Davis, for instance, who was involved. He might have been a wanna know in some projects, but he might not have known all of what was going on. So he might have made a statement saying, well, I can tell you there's nothing going on, but down the road, they might have been working on something he wasn't aware of. So uh, so that's where, 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 where I saw that. And I think there's a, little bit, there's a bit of a weird thing going on in the media at the time. There's like this partial acclimatization of the public. Spielberg, though, did a load of stuff. There's that film in the 50s, The Earth Stood Still. There's that UFO's past, present and future documentary from uh, i think his name's eminiger robert eminiger the point is it seems to be a on-off media thing where there was different baby people fighting over whether the secret should be out or not now listening to a few podcasts i got the impression that the navy were getting sick of it uh there was uh, the army were getting sick of it more you know i.e being buzzed the navy and detecting things and being told well it's nothing to do with you Scientists like Hal Poff and others were getting sick of being fobbed off. They were also part of the Avery group, apparently. You've got Chris Mellon saying there's nothing to it. Then he finds out and he's annoyed. Liz works at Liz. <laughs> Lou <laughs> finds out, works at ATIP, and he finds out and he gets annoyed. And so I think uh, there's a lot of people thinking, what's going on here? Now, where my conspiratorial head went listening to this at first, because I thought, well, the Navy top breast maybe had decided that they'd had enough of this and they were going to form a group to sort of out the secret keepers, as it were. And uh, basically, uh, uh, and you could see maybe this with Clinton and Podesta, those emails that come out there through WikiLeaks, where there was a, like a plan for disclosure linked to Hillary. And when that all fell through, when she lost the election, they went to plan B, which was TTSA. 
So you've effectively got Chris Mellon and Lou, some of the scientists running TTSA, doing the unidentified video, doing all these other things, uh, basically. And you've got a two-pronged attack, basically. You've got the high-profile Tom DeLong going everywhere, raising awareness, ruffling feathers. And then you've got the other guys, the good cops, as it were, in this context, calm and considered, very conservative, not mentioning aliens. You can talk to us. And it was quite a carefully planned approach. Uh, you've got Lou. Uh, he carefully declassified those videos just before he left. A tip and Chris then took the videos out. So there's a good degree of planning around this. And uh, I think that uh, I think DeLong was given a good briefing. They were doing various things. And then it's all gone up a gear then. Uh, you've got uh, the Navy videos released. There was a Tim McMillan article a bit later on about the conflict in the Pentagon. UFE task, task force that was nobbled effectively by the personnel it had. The report that was written that was uh, watered down and all the conflict over that, about what was going to go in it. Uh, there's the DODIG from Lou. There's the San Marino stuff, which is interesting because uh, that maybe goes against this conspiratorial thing. Then there's the Gilly, Gillibrand Amendment. I can't still say that right now. An attempt to nobble that we've just seen in the last couple of days. So... If you see it, so I think you can see what Lou's doing and Chris as a definite attempt to try and out these people. And uh, and I thought in at first that it was like a, more of a concerted military effort. They were worried about the tech being closed off, compartmentalized. US was getting behind on the tech. They thought it should be a wider tent to look at it. And so there was this big push from the Navy to go for it and from other... But when I thought about it, I thought more, and it was a bit like what you mentioned in your email to me. It's a bit more of a freelance thing where people have thought, well, should we? Uh, they thought, we're not happy with this. Lou's got contacts. It's been more of a, not like a planned secret thing from the high on, but there's been a lot of disgruntled people in various places who've come together and sort of tried to sort of force this issue. Clearly, Chris and Lou have planned this like a military campaign for me, and it's all coming out. And, but the directions Lou's taken and the things he said would argue against it being a straight US military or we just want to know and replace the other guys who are keeping it covered up. You know, he's gone abroad, he's argued for secrecy. There's a few things he's done but would argue against this sort of... Because uh, I trust Lou's integrity watching him. So so my view anyway is that you, you can see this whole thing that's happened since 2017 is this conflict between these, these people who are in the know and the ones who want to know. And I think the sort of want to know seem to be winning. And this Gillibrand stuff is entirely part of that, trying to desperately stop it coming out. So that was where I was coming from. Frank, I bet, you were, I bet you're sorry you're asking now, aren't you? But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no it's, it's good to get into the detail with it. Um, I think, yeah, one of the things that, that uh, we were talking about on the emails is the uh, Ross Coltart's kind of theories that he that he goes into in his, his book, uh, In Plain Sight, which is obviously a fantastic book. And, and he kind of speculates on that, that um, that basically there was uh, almost like a, an attempt at controlled rollout of, of disclosure kind of that was that was being drawn up and being thought about um you know during that election campaign um and when that actually didn't really pan out because uh you know the 
Hillary didn't win the election, essentially, and that wasn't really expected by many people. They kind of switched to plan B, which was, you know, TTSA, and it was like an emergency kind of switch at, at the last minute. But, yeah, like you say, there are a few a few issues with that, really. Um, thinking of it always being completely, you know, planned out, you know, from the inside, the people who are holding the secrets. It essentially, it boils down to the people that are holding the secrets, according to that theory and other theories like it, the people holding the secrets wanted to, they realised the time was up and they wanted to kind of break this thing to the public in a way that left them sort of like smelling of roses, you know, so that they didn't end up looking like the bad guys. But I don't know, a lot of people in the know are kind of saying that that absolutely isn't, doesn't really seem to be the case, like you say. And when you sort of look at the bigger picture, I think it's more likely that it's more of a, a grey area thing rather than this thing or this thing. I think it's kind of like Lou and Chris in particular, and obviously a lot of other people that are in there in a circle, realise that the only way they could make progress on the topic is essentially to you know break free from the shackles of the compartmentalization and the stovepipes and all the rest of it, you know, and, and operate from the outside, but with close cooperation of people who are still on the inside, you know, using people who are still working on some of these secret, you know, departments and special access programs and things, using some of those people as advisors for their outside of government initiative basically to sort of actually make some progress finally which is not too far off um what lou and chris actually put forward themselves is it yeah yeah Uh, you you, you're right i mean uh something you said to me as well in that email was uh mccastellan has actually worked for the air force and Mm. that will go against the fact it's because the air force are the baddies aren't they in most scenarios that that because of their silence is so deafening Everybody thinks that they're up. They've got some hand in this, anyway, as to how much they have. But it certainly does seem to be. So, if it was some sort of uh, forces thing high up, the the the, the Air Force guy would have never have spoke to Tom DeLonge. DeLong. So, uh, I, I think that there's quite a bit to that. And I also think from that Tim McMillan article, you could tell from that, but it was like the the younger middle managers who were getting annoyed with the old guard who were trying to keep it all secret and keep a lid in it. So I think it was more of an, a, a personal across-the-board network thing now, as I think about it, than, than it was a planned Navy, Army versus Air Force type affair, you know. So I think that fits the facts a little bit more, really, and he's probably more believable. Yeah, definitely. And it, it, something else that you mentioned earlier as well was um, it's never never really as, as simple as just people know all of what's going on or people know nothing of what's going on. Like you said, there's a lot of people who have probably had a bit of a sniff of something going yeah. on or they've spoke yeah. to somebody who's very, very credible that's told them that this other thing's happening over here. And a lot of people have probably had a hint of that. I think I think it's quite likely ATIP were actually aware of the crash retrieval programs yeah. if you know, if they do exist, because we can't say for a fact that they do, but I, I think it's overwhelmingly likely that they do. And I think ATIP and, you know, possibly even Eric Davis as well were aware of those programs, but unable to access them. I yeah. think, I mean, this is going off like, you know, basically um, what I've inferred from various people's, you know, quotes that they've done in interviews and things, but in particular the, the Chris Mellon phrasing, when he was asked on um, CNN about Eric Davis's briefings, the way that he put it forward was he's aware of um, Eric Davis's arguments 
and Eric Davis in those briefings left like sort of clues for for people to actually follow to be able to get to the bottom of it. Something I've been wrestling with a lot recently is like, what is the extent of what Eric Davis actually knows? Has he just seen that these these departments, you know, the, the crash retrieval program exists, but he's not been able to access it, or has he been able to access it in a very small capacity? You know, it's uh, even people on that level, like ATIP themselves and Eric Davis, may have not been able to access that crash retrieval program potentially. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I I think you're right because that was the biggest stumbling block to me to believing that there was a there was a, an engine reverse engineering thing because of Eric Davis was so vehemently saying there wasn't, and he's not one to mess about. And I have a lot of faith in him, really. And that was why I thought, well, maybe he didn't know about it, but. Uh, uh, he's pretty forthright. He's, I definitely think that what where Lou would have come up against, he must have seen a lot. They've seen a lot of stuff, but they couldn't get into the saps proper. And what we don't know, and what a lot of people speculate, what's in the DOE stuff, because they're in charge of propulsion and a few other weird things. And it may well be that a lot of the core stuff is deep there and you cannot get at it at all. So he knows there's something there, Lou. He's seen a lot but he isn't quite there. But now Eric Davis may be in those things because he's working on some of those, allegedly, working in some of those areas. So we've been in a position to know. So I must say, I, I'm not sure, but I'm less sure than I was that uh, there was a big reverse engineering thing going on. Uh, see, I don't believe that. I wouldn't believe that Wilson document. They said, oh, no, we couldn't make any progress. Because clearly if they said to Admiral Wilson, oh, yeah, well, we've done a lot here. Great. Yeah, yeah, well, it's nearly ready to go. Well, he would have never left them alone then, would he? So whether they'd done it or not, they wouldn't have told him. But I, it, the stuff from Ross Coulthard recently has re-energised me thinking that they might definitely have something there just because of the, some of the things he's pulled out and uh, that I respect him. So I don't know really, but I think it comes back to what you said initially just in this uh, here, that the people know bits of stuff and they might all be convinced that they know the truth of it. But in fact... They don't know the truth of it at all. They just know their bit of it, you know? Yeah, definitely. And it's made all the more complicated by the fact that, you know, things like disinfo exist, you know, misunderstandings exist. Somebody behind the scenes may have told them something that strongly hints at this, but then that could have actually been all based on, um, you know, hypotheticals. So it's it's really tricky to get to the bottom of, isn't it? But uh, yeah. um, another thing that's very tricky to get to the bottom of, and Ross Coltart sort of links in with this as well, actually, um, is the, uh, the the time travellers thing. It's something, again, Ross yeah. Coltart's been, been touching on. Um, so I think we'll get into that. Is there anything else you wanted to add about the... Uh, a, no, I'm, the, um... I'm, I'm fine. No, I'm fine on that, Frank. I've also got something, if you want to talk about that, about sort of theory... About I'll talk about it when time comes for it, about this, this guy called Chan Thomas, which you might have heard of. I emailed you about it recently. You might have yeah, yeah, I saw you yeah. mention it, yeah. But but it's interesting in terms of what a cataclysm could be. But, yeah, well, let's get into that, uh, the, 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 the time travel stuff, if you want. And, uh, yeah, so obviously you now, mentioned... Yeah. Yeah, you'd mentioned uh, Ross Coltart, um, and obviously uh, a lot of the crash retrievals bits and pieces that Ross has mentioned in his book to do with Nat Kovitz and the things that he told him just before he, he sadly passed away. Um, and and Ross has also been talking uh, quite a lot about this future human time traveller um, theory, which has been doing the rounds quite a bit recently. And um, yeah, so it's like, First of all, the the sources where the time travel 
theory is coming from seems to be a pretty small number of of sources from the inside which kind of suggests the possibility of disinformation for for whatever purpose by whoever you know there could be a lot of different reasons for it being spread and could be being spread by a lot of different different people as well but what are your thoughts on on the possibility of all of that being disinformation well well i think i mean i've always sort of dismissed i mean i maybe i've had a bit of a knee jerk to that time travel i just think it's too convenient and too movie like but having said that that guy i think it's mac masters who wrote that book he, he was quite interested on it i also i i know he's an expert but i can't see that we could evolve in twelve thousand years to look like greys i think that's too short a time but all that being said i think it's very they've tied this time travel thing to an earth catastrophe and if there was going to be a catastrophe, we're all going to die. They would never tell us about it. And everybody would accept that privately because we'd understand you couldn't tell anybody about it because uh, everybody would absolutely panic. So it's quite convenient that, isn't it? Because if there's going to be this catastrophe and then you've got these humans coming back who we don't have to worry about, then that lets the people who've been keeping the secrets off the hook. That means they have to, they're able to keep keeping the secrets uh and everybody understands why, and nudge, nudge, wink, wink, we would love to tell you, but we can't, and we're all going to die, and, you know, you do the same as me. And so I, I'm quite distrustful of it. Now, what makes me more trustful, like you've said in your programs, you've got Ross. You can't dismiss Ross Coulthard. He's sources. He's no mug. So mm. if the people are telling him, they may be, most people who are telling him must have been nobbled as well. You've got Frank Milburn. He's very well connected. A few other people. Now, some people maybe who are well-connected might willingly go with that line because they think they're doing it for the greater good, you know, if it's something that benefits the race against the Chinese or whatever as they see the enemy. But I, I personally think, it reminds me of Cory Good in some ways. Cory Good, who who's, I cannot stand uh, in terms of what he did with the field, but what he was very clever at, he picked a load of diverse elements of the field and weaved them together into a narrative that people thought, oh, I've heard about that. Oh, yeah, I've heard about that. Oh, yeah. And then he sort of slipped in the plot of Star Wars and away he went, you know. And uh, and, and nowadays it's not the same thing, but if you were going to do that, John Ramirez said, didn't he? Oh, they're very good, these people. And if you're going to construct something that sort of diverted people and got you off the hook, you would sort of go down. It's a good route to go down. You've got time travel, which people can get their heads around and a cataclysm which explains the secrecy. But I can't ignore people like Exo Academian and all the rest of it who, who you know, I listen to his programs, they're really good. So to be honest with you, Frank, I don't know, but I don't, the, my gut tells me it's not right. And a couple of other people who I know who aren't probably near to people you've spoken to told me it's not right either. But I don't know really, but I, I, I think it, you've got to ask who benefits from these sort of tales. And I think it yeah. benefits massively the secret keepers, you know. That's it, and and I think um, you know the, the the timing of it's very interesting as well. Yeah. Because I mean, if you think about it, the UFO topic now has got massive momentum in the mainstream. You know, you've got like Barack Obama talked about it. All of the mainstream news are actually doing relatively serious, you know, articles and and interviews and things about this topic. You know, you've got this this well that's just emerged the AOI MSG the unpronounceable department <laughs> that they've just announced. Um, and, and that's kind of currently in direct conflict with the Gillibrand Amendment. 
Um, and then also, weirdly as well, they've they've literally just launched uh, an asteroid busting satellite as well. I don't know if you you read about yeah. that in the yeah, news. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, last couple of days. Yeah. Weird. That's a coincidence, isn't it? That that yeah. just in case anybody's not aware of what I've been talking about with this uh, on my podcast and a lot of other people. Basically, the concept is that UFOs, at least partly, can be explained by time travelers from the future who are human coming back to um well basically two factions one to um avert a cataclysmic event which is about to happen in the relatively near future and the other one wants to stop uh, wants to actually allow that cataclysm to happen because if it doesn't happen they won't exist in the future so like you say very sci-fi ish but what's really quite surprising about it is the credibility of the people involved in actually talking about this and like you say a lot of people with with uh, very good sources ross coltart as you said frank milburn people who've got real expertise and really good sources you know that they vouch for uh, are saying that this is all quite legit and then as you said exo academians done some some fantastic episodes really really well researched episodes as well the work of michael p masters and obviously people have probably heard me talking about all this as well recently and i went into a lot of that in in a lot more detail but yeah i just think this despite all of the um all of the credible sources uh, and you know and and how well researched and how much it does appear to stand up you can't really say that there's a consensus on this because there's a lot of other people i've reached out to who are equally credible who say that there's not much to it or if there is anything to it it's just one of many options that's remaining on the table and the timing of it definitely does seem a bit suspect like at that pivotal moment of you know the the mainstream kind of attention on the ufo topic reaching a tipping point We've, we're on the verge of actually getting this proper uap office through the Gillibrand Amendment, they're just launching an actual satellite to go and attack an asteroid. It all seems like too good to be true in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, and you've got that James Ramirez coming out. I mean, and Lou talking about DNA stuff and hybridization. Now, I know that's a bit more of a controversial topic, but the way Lou was talking about it was more stuff in uh, somebody had tampered with their DNA thousands, tens of thousands of years ago, whatever. I mean, Ramirez has mentioned it, and so that, so that indicates to me that there's there's another push on the level of information that's coming out. I don't think Ramirez is linked to Lou. I just think he's part of the sort of milieu, as he were, or whatever. You know, he's part of that, the mix, the churn. But you can see the direction of travel going. And again, if these people are trying to keep a grip on it, it's very, it's very difficult. The James Webb telescope's going up, which some people have speculated is the uh, the starting point for they said, Oh, look at that over there. Oh, you never like you said, Oh, we never Oh, fancy that, eh? I'm looking at oh, we'll have a look over there now, as if it's all new to them, and we can all mm. discover it together in and skip down the garden path as if nothing's happened, you know, in the last seventy years, you know. So, uh, so the, you're right. The timing, I, I think it's a lot of big diversion. I think there's, but I don't think they know what to do. To be honest, that Gillibrand rubbish that they brought out showed they didn't know what to do because that was nowhere near. Why would you have a? Why would you bloody drive a? I don't know a, a mini. You could have a Ferrari, you know, with Gillibrand. Why would you do that? It's just a load yeah. of rubbish, you know. Uh, and I, I, yeah, sorry. Yeah, you, so yeah, you're saying like the uh, the how do you even say it again? A A O I 
MSG. <laughs> That's it. I have to read it every time because it's just impossible to remember. And there's no point trying to say it as a proper acronym because it just sounds daft. I tried it on mine the other day. IOMSK, I think, was the best I managed to do. It's one of them, isn't it? It's like they've, whether they've done that on purpose or not remains to be seen. But anyway, the, the point there is that the, uh, the Gillibrand Amendment, which has now got uh, bipartisan support and is, is was anyway until this new... Um, this new initiative that they've just mentioned um, was on on the tracks to, to happening and a proper, really good, credible UFO office, basically, which is, you know, got proper oversight from academics and non-military people. It's all regulated. They're looking into the exact areas that, you know, the, the UFO community have been going on about for years and years now. And as, as we found out quite recently as well, Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon have been pretty instrumental in actually getting that language into the actual, um, into the text that's being put forward as well. That's what we want. That's the Ferrari, isn't it? And the uh, the AOI MSG is the uh, is the the old banger that nobody wants to drive. <laughs> oh, sorry, mate. I, I can't actually hear you at the minute there. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, I've gone. I've gone. I've done, done a Dan and gone on mute. Eh? <laughs> I was just going to say you've done <laughs> a Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, I suppose it's a badge of honour, really, isn't it? I've done yeah, that, there you anyway. go. <laughs> yeah. Right yeah, passage. Yeah, I was saying I like minis actually, so it's a bit rude to minis. I quite like them. So, old banger is a much better way to put it. But <laughs> yeah. I, I've listened to people. I don't think it's going to fly. I think they're thinking, well, we can put enough people off, and they won't vote for it. But I don't think. I think they've got a bit between the teeth now. I don't think they're going to wear that. They're not stupid. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, I, I can, if it does go through, then. They'll say, oh, that's really interesting. I'm glad you've set that up, but can you do this now, please? Uh, mm. the, the, the only thing I thought was it, they might set that up, sling all the secretive stuff in that office, and then sort of not uh, release it. But I just thought I was a bit child. I don't think they'll do that. I'd be too childish to do that, I suspect. I don't think they could get away with that, is my point. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah. so I, I, yeah. Listen, do you want me to talk to you about this Chan Thomas stuff for a minute? You might, I mean, I don't know if we've got the time to do it, but it's quite its quite interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, we know we've got plenty of time, so fire oh, away. Oh, yeah, yeah. because all it is, it's just, I've said all this about him in a lot of, uh, well, cobblers, I suppose is the word. In terms of, I don't quite think you can dismiss it like that, but the catastrophe. But interestingly, I come across this a couple of years ago, and it, it's a couple of years ago where, the CIA declassified a document by a, a book by a bloke called Chan Thomas, and it was called The Adam and Eve Story. It was in 63 it was released, and when it was released, it was banned by them, which was unusual. You know, they banned the book. And what it basically says is that the Earth's subject to regular catastrophes every six to 12,000 years. And uh, just bear with me on this. I'll explain it. I'll, yeah, I'll, go for I'll, it. Yeah, but good. it's... Uh, uh, Basically, it's because of what's called crustal displacement. And it's that's where the Earth's skin moves, but the actual core of the Earth doesn't move effectively. So it goes like the skin of an orange goes round. If you see, can you imagine the skin of the orange taking off the orange and moving round on a dry orange or something like that. So that's the theory. Uh, I'll come back to that. People may have heard of a theory by a fellow called Charles Hapgood, who was a scientist in the 50s, very famous. He wrote that thing about the old Earth maps and all the rest of it maps of the ancient sea kings or something, which Graham Hancock used. But anyway, he had that theory, but it was dismissed because the geologists couldn't see any evidence of this displacement. I mean, there's a lot of argument about that, but let's just take that for now. In this Chan Thomas thing, 
it goes back and forth, the displacement. So you wouldn't see much over, say, 80,100 years, you wouldn't see much change because it's going back, then it's going forward. It's going one direction, then another. But anyway, I know that sounds a bit un unlikely, but that's that's why this is seen as a much better theory in people who talk about it. Anyway, the CIA banned it. We had Charles Hap... Oh, I've, wrote, wrote, I've said, I said all what I was going to say there. Excuse me. Uh, so... The question is, why Why did they ban it? Now, the book was by uh, a fella. It was based on a book called uh, Major Maynard White. And he went and did an Arctic exhibition with the US Air Force in the 50s in the Arctic Circle and took a load of, uh, you know, samples. And based upon that, he discovered this cyclical event. And one of the things he discovered was all this sort of a tropical uh, or whatever rainforest. In, in, and he couldn't understand why it was there. But anyway... The upshot of all his work is he realised this was happening, this cyclical event, reported it to the Pentagon. They went through it with scientists, did a big study, and decided to hush it up. Now, I'm, I'm, we could go through into all them things in a lot of detail, but let's just say that's what happened. Uh, they they realised it was right and decided to hush it up because it had caused massive panic. And the reason Chan Thomas was involved in this, and he was also involved with some of the people in the 60s at Lockheed who were on that study, and basically, uh, uh, so that chance that on that. So, so basically, they decided to uh, ban the book because it had that information that was accurate on it. That was the reason for the ban. Because if you think about it, why would they ban the book? It just seems stupid mm. that if it wasn't true. Now, I know there's maybe a number of reasons that we don't know about. So, uh, so basically. Uh, the, the thinking is that the secret of the U.S. is preparing for this catastrophe. They're not telling anybody. They're digging tunnels and all the activity people go on about. Uh, and obviously, there's a link to this catastrophe theory of late. So if it was true what they were saying about this catastrophic event, this may well be a candidate. Just for people who are listening, I think I sent you this as well, Frank, recently, but it's a big, bloody mm. book. It's called The World in Peril by Ken White, who's the son of this major. And it's like his dad's diary. And in four chapters, it goes into what the findings were. It's quite chilling, actually, because uh, there's one bit where he finds this evidence of this tropical rainforest. And he said if it was that hot in the Arctic Circle where they were, then it would be it would be unsurvivable in the equator. And there'd be massive evidence of that, if you see what I mean, in a geological record. And there wasn't, which meant the crust must move around. I mean, again... Tony me explaining it to you. I'm sure somebody could explain it much better, but that's the uh, that's why it's so. Uh, it was quite chilling. I thought when I read it anyway. So, just to tell you the mechanism because that's interesting because people if people are listening to this. The idea is there's a weak electric force plus gravity that's making the molten bit below the crust stick to the crust. That's basically it. it makes it like a glue. For some reason, the, the, if the gravity is affected or the magnetic field particularly is affected, then that disturbs, that makes the crust come away from this layer. In other words, it unglues it. And uh, basically, because you've got the weight of the ice caps and they always are wanting to push the crust down because of the weight of those ice caps. So that makes the crust slip. And what happens is the crust is going one way, but the water and the winds are all keep going the other way. And you get these 1,000-mile-per-hour winds, big tsunamis, lands being cut up. And interestingly, through some of these studies, that fits with some of the things we've seen, like these massive piles of animals found everywhere, massive mudslides, the mammoth. 
with that thing frozen in its belly because it happens over a day, this, apparently. Uh, so it, it sort of, uh, it sort of explains some of those things that have been observed. Again, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it, that the theory, I don't, I'm not, I'm sure there's a lot of argument to it. But it also, interestingly, Frank, might explain why man's not developed more. Modern man's been around for hundreds of thousands of years, at least 200. Why have we not had loads of societies develop over that time? Why is it, why have we been running around for years with wooden sticks and it's only recently? One explanation might be we keep getting iced every sort of 12,000 years and we have to keep starting up again, which is, uh, which is what Graham Hancock argued. Uh, there's also another type of a theory around this, uh, which is this idea of a micronoba, which is a guy on YouTube called Suspicious Observers, which I think are a bit suspicious themselves anyway. But other people have, t have talked about this idea of a, the sun doing a micronova every 12,000 years, and that might be the thing that disrupts the, the electromagnetic grip on the core. So there's a lot of stuff to look into. I don't want to get too far into that, but I would say Robert Shock also thinks, who's a famous geologist from Graham Hancock's sort of fame, that solar flares may, play, may be the responsible rather than the comet that Graham Hancock says. But interestingly, as you will know, Graham Hancock, says that catastrophism, I can't say that, has gone out of modern geological thinking. It's all steady change. And a lot of the writers who were talking about this in the early part of the 20th century and 19th century have all been, as we know from UFO stuff, expunged from the record, you know, and it's just all these normal sort of consensus thinkers. So uh, I think there may be uh, quite a bit to it. But what, what, I would, what I would say is this. Firstly, I've often wondered why the academic world is so anti the idea of ancient civilization when there seems to be a lot of evidence. Common pyramids all over the place, shared technology, geography, you know, stone cutting, all these different techniques. I've often wondered why they're so against it. And I think they would be against it anyway because it's their theory. But I think the government, you could see a scenario where the government would encourage that because the question you ask uh following if once you accept there's an ancient civilization the next question is what happened to them and if what happened to them is they got wiped out you don't really want people to talk about that uh, that much i would suggest and it also might explain going to another theory of ufology the crypto terrestrial why you might have a race of humans who go underground because they know this is happening all the time and there's tales of them emerging occasionally to help us out when we're all sort of smashed to pieces after the latest event so again just an interesting one with that catastrophism because i have always found that fairly compelling that chan thomas stuff but as you can see there i've just put supposition on supposition and made a story none of it makes it true but it is just in, the banning thing is the key thing for me why would they ban it you know and i can't i haven't found out for a mundane reason yeah, no, it, it's it's very interesting. It links to loads of areas that the different paths you could go down, things you've just been talking about. But just quickly before I forget, Chan Thomas, and um, what's the actual name of the book, just in case anybody's uh, listening and they're interested in finding that? Oh, I think, sorry, you're on mute again, <laughs> I think. Oh, dear, you didn't hear what I actually <laughs> said then, did you? <laughs> I, I'm trying to do it because there's a bit of noise outside and I thought I don't want you to get a lot of noise. <laughs> no, don't, from, uh, don't worry yeah. about it. Uh, God, pathetic, a double Dan. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> co <laughs> it's called uh, the, the Adam and Eve story and it's by Chan Thomas. Now, 
you can get it if you look online you can get pdfs of it it's hard to get hold of now just to give you a bit of just a bit of the detail on it if people are looking the cia released a 50 page version of the original shortened version which was cut down now a lot of people were really suspicious well what about the other 180 pages well from what i can tell he released another one in 1993 and they didn't they didn't declassify that and the reason for that given in the, in the conversation is that they thought people weren't bothered about it now and would ignore it etc well whatever you can think of that but i think that's the original book in 1993 from what i've been able to tell so i think if you get that one uh get a pdf of that online there's a few of them i mean i can we'll I'll talk to you offline about if you can make it available to people uh mm. uh you, you can go you can get that and read it. It's really, really good. It's really, I like I say, I like the ancient civilization stuff. And they're talking about stuff in there in the 60s that Hancock was coming up with in the 90s and you know, 2000s, which led me to believe that somebody might have done a bit of a study on it because it was a very informed, you know, lot of information there for just one bloke to think about when it wasn't in the uh, wider, I could, you know, conversation in the 60s it was all charles berlitz mm. and all that you know yeah it's it's uh it's true what you were saying before as well um i think you touched on a little bit is it's really difficult with these things especially with them being such like fantastical sort of like concepts of the end of the world and whatnot it's really difficult to actually figure out whether or not something is sort of like a legit theory which has all the various scientific bits and pieces in place or like there's there's loads of examples of it like the the misinformation thing that we were talking about that's potentially being put forward with this future human time travelers it could be legit or it could be a combination of loads of different cool sounding things that have been in films that people are already aware of that you string together to make a narrative which is just exciting enough to be spreading like wildfire and and just um like rational enough and familiar concepts enough that people actually willing to take it on board because if you go too far in one of those directions it wouldn't work and I think, um, you know, the Anjali situation that's been playing out recently as well, she's now incorporated this solar destruction concept that's happening in a few years' time or whatever. Again, very convenient, isn't it, that these types of things, um, you know, incorporate all the elements at the right moment according to whatever the trendy topic is. But I think there's a massive distinction to make between possible disinfo and, you know, um, things like the Anjali situation, making it, you know, what could be like a marketable sort of story for whatever purposes that she's got in mind in in the coming years or whatever. There's a big difference between that and something like the work of Graham Hancock, as you mentioned, which is proper scientifically researched. Well, I don't think he classes himself as a scientist, does he? But he's he's a he's a journalist who's looked into yeah. this in in a lot of detail for for well decades now, isn't it? He's wrote book after book about it, and Randall Carlson. Yeah, he's actually, brilliant, a, a, yeah, actually a legit geologist who knows all of the science behind it, has, has analysed, and especially now drones and things are available. You can actually look at these rock formations that back up everything that they're talking about. And, you know, the, the, the possibility of cataclysmic events happening, you know, is not some far-fetched thing. We can become a bit desensitised to it, I think, when you see it in films and whatnot and, you know, wacky storylines and things like that. But there's... There's absolutely no reason that that couldn't happen again, whether it be an asteroid or a supervolcano or, you know, even human 
initiated ideas like uh, you know nuclear war and and various different pieces bits and pieces like that but all of that kind of ties back to the potential existence of one of these ancient civilizations like um another fantastic one that i've recommended before as well is uncharted x i think we've we've spoke about uncharted x in the past yeah. um and he's uh uh, I forget his name, the actual guy who, who runs the channel, but um, he's got a, a fantastic YouTube channel, which is all about um, Egypt in particular. Uh, and some of the videos that I've seen him do are really, really detailed about there's, a, there's a, an area called the Serapium with all of these unbelievably perfect granite boxes polished to a, a really, really high level. And it does seem to, to suggest that the civilizations that, existed a long long time ago many thousands of years ago in fact turning out to be a lot older you know in some cases than people previously thought how did they have the technology to be able to do things like that and obviously as graham hancock has has uh, theorized over the years it could well be that a, a really quite advanced civilization existed on this planet prior to some kind of cataclysmic event and then once everything uh, kind of calmed down after that, then humanity kind of slowly rebuilt itself, you know, with some little fragments of the of the past civilization still there, like the things that still exist in uh, in Egypt. And it, like I say, it ties in with some of the bits and pieces you mentioned there. I don't think anybody actually knows exactly what the cataclysmic event was at this stage. Like you said, it could be the the, the crust moving, it could be potential solar activity, it could be. Uh, asteroids i think is the leading hypothesis that graham hancock goes with yeah. but it, it really fascinates me the whole concept of that and whether or not if there was a civilization that existed you know say you know twenty thousand years ago or whatever before all these cataclysmic events happened is it possible that they actually managed to get a little bit further down the line of understanding the ufo phenomenon than we even have you know this is going pretty out there <laughs> pretty much down a rabbit hole there but you know these are the things that, that i do find quite fascinating well, about that area well well i i, I think you're dead right there frank because i think if the, if because i'm not so sure about this cyclical thing i mean it might well not be that but if it does happen some regularity or something happens you can see if somebody got twenty thousand years they'd be a much more advanced than somebody who got twelve thousand years wouldn't they you know that stands to reason that uh, and now I listened to that fella, Mr. X, who I still don't know who he is on Jay years ago, or a couple of years ago. And he said something really interesting. He said he thought that human science had missed a bit of a trick that most people discover. So we've gone for nuclear power, mechanical energy, that sort of thing, rockets and all that. But we've missed the manipulation of fields, you know, gravity, manipulation of particles, nature of how you can you know the fact that all matters electromagnetic effectively and you can manipulate it we'd missed and that's the power to fly you know ufos use and all the rest of it now if that's true it may well be that another civilization hasn't actually didn't miss it at all and that's where a lot of their power comes from i mean i thought there was like this sort of three different like you could have like this quantum manipulation of matter that sounds a little bit but like say electromagnetic stuff, sonic manipulation, you yeah, talk about that, maybe even zero-point stuff where they can tap into that, and I know that's going well off it, but the effect of that would be flight, being able to lift stones, these cutting and digging tools and all the rest of it, but they've got a lot of power on. Similarly, you could have maybe earth power, like harnessing geomagnetic power, which might be like the pyramids. People often think that's the case. 
or even like Tesla where they get the power from the atmosphere. And it could be that obelisks are like many like Tesla coils where everybody draws their energy in a 200-yard radius from the, from the obelisk, you know, thousands of years ago. You know, it might, might be what it was. So there's that side of it. And then if people are aware of this idea of consciousness and consciousness and its relationship with matter ID, but it energizes matter and makes it happen, you can see people being able to use ESP, communicate mentally, maybe do remote viewing, maybe control machines or what you know do the point is they could have a lot of weirder stuff and and their tech had looked totally different to ours totally different to ours because it'd be using these different solutions they wouldn't have mobile phones there'd be a lot of mental stuff uh, and it and it might be that it wasn't mega more advanced than what we could do uh it's just a lot different and how they would look at it. and we'd never recognize it and, and i think that's uh i think that's that that's something that we could well they're missing. And if you take that to maybe the, the idea of the crypto terrestrials, if they exist, it may well be that their tech's not mega advanced than ours, probably is more advanced. It's just very different and they can do different things. And that will explain the psychic manipulation and all the other skills that they might have. But we find, and why they crash, you know, because they, they're not that much more advanced than us when, you know, an electromagnetic field can flow them out. So I, I totally agree with you. I think they could have gone down a different route. And that's what we might be sort of seeing now. Anyway, I'll stop going on there. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And it's like it's like that thing that people often mention about, um, you know, with, with UFO technology. Like, if we are indeed looking at some kind of civilization that is 1,000 years, 10,000 years more advanced than humans, if we actually ever did find a piece of that UFO technology, would we even know what to do with it? It's that thing of we would be looking at, they may not even be that much more advanced than us, but it's just so different in terms of the, the actual path that their technology took. Yeah. We just wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. It, I think more than likely they are a lot more advanced than us, but even if they weren't, it could just be that they've gone down a route that's so different to ours that it's unrecognizable. Yeah. And like you say, it could, be the, it could be exactly the same thing. People have mentioned that thing of like, if you gave a mobile phone to somebody 200 years ago, they wouldn't even know how to switch it on. They just think it was a shiny rock. Like, and they'd be amazed at like how shiny it was, but they wouldn't know what it could actually do. And it could actually be that we're looking at these amazing, ironically, shiny boxes in the Serapium in Egypt. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? We might be Absolutely looking at literally, right. l- literally some, some form of technology. I actually watched, um, I think it was you that recommended it to me. It was that, um, a documentary on Netflix about ancient oh, megaliths. Oh, bam, bam! It is. It's bam, and it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. That. It's really, That's really, good. really interesting. But there was particularly, uh, I had no idea about these until I watched this. The um, those uh, caves that had been made in India. Yeah, and um, I, I don't, I can't remember. Maybe they did date them, but it's a long, long time ago that they were made, and they were made with unbelievably precise uh, dimensions inside inside of a, a you know solid cliff of just made of sheer rock and, and the thing that was quite interesting was the the wavelengths uh, that certain frequencies were uh, the actual dimension of the room was the exact length of a certain sound wave so like uh, they, they did a lot of tests with like acoustic equipment and that kind of thing and maybe there is some elements of, of sound involved with some of the those ancient technologies like you mentioned uh, earlier on well there's tales of the stones in egypt being lifted with sound Tales of some alleged filming of some Tibetan monks using horns to lift a stone in the 20s. Somebody allegedly filmed that. It's in the British Institute somewhere, who, who knows. But generally speaking, tales of sonic stuff, even the horn, what is it, the 
Jericho was down by some sort of sonic thing. There's a lot of stories about using sound and all the rest of it. I mean, I mean that BAM series was really good because it showed the measurement system was related to the size of the Earth and some of the angles and stuff they used showed knowledge of sort of dimensions in the Earth and maybe advanced science that they would have had to be pretty advanced to know about. And they're all like loads of little clues into the way they did it. And you're right. It may just be a different type of uh, tech approach, but we're just, we're just unaware of really. I mean, that was a brilliant documentary that I really enjoyed it. Pillars yeah, of def- Ancient Mysteries, that's what it was called. Bam. Yeah, it's on it's on Netflix, uh, I believe. Yeah. Is that right? It's not it's on Netflix, I, I think. I, I thought it was on Amazon actually, but it might yeah, have changed to Netflix. Yeah. No, you're right, sorry. No, it was I knew it was one of them. It's the Amazon Prime uh, yeah. thingy, isn't it? Amazon, whatever yeah. they call it, the well Amazon it. video thing. Definitely worth a watch if anyone's interested in that side of things. And uh, yeah, definitely worth checking out Uncharted X as well. Specifically the the videos about the Serapium, which is S E R A. P E U M, just in case anybody wants to search in. I've got, don't, I don't know, I've got no chance of spelling that, Frank. That's a, <laughs> no, no, yeah. nearly as bad as that new department from the Pentagon. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, Dave, I think I think that about wraps it up, eh? So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah do you want to just uh, let the listeners know where your Twitter is so they can find you oh, if they want to uh, come and harass you? But, it's Steve Smevest on Twitter. You'll see me, you see my ugly mug peering out of you from Twitter. <laughs> I, I'm working on doing a, writing a couple of things. Well, <laughs> I do a lot of writing in my job, but I, so I'm looking at writing a couple of things on some of the things we've talked about. So hopefully I'll, if I'm not, get a few things out in the next couple of months. Or, and uh, just, just to do a bit, really, in the field. I mean, the final thing I'd like to say is I think this discussion today, I don't think people should be afraid to speculate. I mean, you've just got to separate what you can say and what you can speculate on. So, for instance, I can probably say there probably was an ancient civilization. It was global. It was seafaring, uh, and, you know, they had the shared technology to a summit, not to that extent. But I can't say anything else. I've no evidence. But the speculation, in, you know, makes me think about, makes me examine it better, but I can't go and go with it and convince people of that. And it's like UFOs. It's really, you've got to speculate just to try and push it forward. But if you were like Lou or Chris and presenting it to the public, you could only stick to the more narrow band of what you know. And I think we should do a bit more in, the, in this field. Don't be afraid to speculate, but bloody be clear when you have to rein yourself back in to talk about what you can talk about as being fact, you know. And it's like you said, facts masquerading as opinions. It's so uh, it's so easy to do, and it's not right. So I think we should be a bit more bold in our discussions as long as we anchored, knowing that we're just speculating and we'll go back to what the facts are when we need to make the points, you know. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, I go on about quite a lot, as, as I'm sure you know, and I, I'm I'm uh, quite keen to just go down rabbit holes and do a bit of speculation. But one thing that had always put me off the UFO topic for years is people who proclaim things like that yeah. as absolute facts. You know, Absolutely. and obviously there's plenty of that still exists within the UFO community, and I think speculation's great. You know, but it's like you said there, it's it, you've got to be clear when it is speculation and, and when something is factual. And the, the thing is with a topic like this is there's so little actual clear facts available that you have to, you have, it's really helpful to go down all these different routes of speculation and, you know, throwing stuff at a wall and see what sticks, isn't it? You know, you might throw quite a lot of stuff, not all of it's going to stick, but the ones that do, you're like, ah, okay, go down that angle a little bit more. So, yeah, we'll leave it there then. Uh, It's been really interesting having you on, Dave. Thank you very much. Cheers, Frank. It's been great, mate. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, I'll speak to you soon. (laughs) 
Okay guys, so there you go, hope you enjoyed that, I'm planning on doing a few more, I've got a couple more lined up actually, uh, over the next couple of weeks, so you'll see more of these Voices of the Community type episodes, and um, thanks to everyone who does get in touch, because you know, like I've said a few times on the podcast before, when I started this it was basically just me in my tiny little box room in my house in the north of England, just talking at a wall, you know, it felt really weird at first, because like, I'm just basically, imagine going into a room, and just talking about things that you're interested in for an hour. It's a bit odd, really, isn't it, if you think about it? And it sort of feels like, you know, I'm just going losing my mind or something, just going sitting in a room in the dark and just talking about things out loud. Um, so when people do get in touch, it sort of reminds me, like, wow, yeah, people actually listen to this thing. Like, that's great. And it's been really nice to sort of see people coming together especially when i see on twitter like other people who have got in touch getting in touch with each other and a bit of a little community forming around the uh, the podcast so it's it's great to see and i always love hearing from people and um, if anybody else would like to take part in one of these voices of the community uh, type of episodes uh, give us a shout i mean this one's been about an hour but you could do a shorter one half an hour you know even less if you wanted to do and you could even uh, send in a pre-recorded clip of you talking and I could put a few of them together because as I say I think something that I found really good about the the UFO Twitter and, and, and the UFO community as it were were all of these different people's voices and a lot of people have got you know a lot to say a lot of very interesting things and we can learn a lot from each other which I think is the beauty of things like UFO Twitter and uh, particularly when I went to that mini con in Preston over here in the UK there's a bit of a event organized to meet actual ordinary people who are fascinated by this is is really interesting and as i say sometimes you just come away from conversations with slightly different viewpoints to when you started which i think is always a good thing so as i say thanks for listening if you're still listening to this point in the podcast you are a hardcore listener of the podcast thank you very much and uh, don't forget you can find me on twitter at ufo thinker get in touch on uh, email ufo thinker at hotmail.com or if you've got any really juicy information about sightings or anything that you want to send via secure email, it's ufothinker at protonmail.com. And as always, you can support the podcast on Patreon uh, for a couple of quid a month, a couple of dollars a month if you're in the States. Uh, and that gives you things like early access to the shows. I generally put the shows up a few days early on Patreon just for the as an extra benefit for the people who support the podcast. And it, and it really helps to cover all the costs involved with the podcast and and just help to improve things and keep things growing. So thanks very much for listening. Until next time, take it easy, stay curious, and I'll catch you in the next episode. UFO Podcast.